Welcome to episode 60 of This Week in Legal Blogging, presented by LexBlog. LexBlog is home to the world's largest community of legal bloggers. It is the industry-leading provider of professional blogs and turnkey digital publishing solutions to lawyers and the world's largest law firms for more than 17 years. I am your host, Bob Ambrosi. I have my own blog, Law Sites, where I cover technology and innovation in law, and my own podcast, Law Next, where we talk about technology and innovation in law. My guest today is Megan Baroni. She is a partner with the law firm Robinson Cole in Stamford, Connecticut, and an environmental attorney in the firm's environmental and utilities group. All of that is interesting enough, but she's here because, of course, she writes a blog and she writes for the firm's blog, Manufacturing Law Blog, which we will get to talking about in just a moment. But first, uh, let me welcome Megan to the program. Thanks, Bob. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for joining us and uh, thanks for taking the time to tell us uh, a little bit about your blog. Uh, But before we get to your blog, let's get to a little bit more about you and your practice. Tell, Tell us what you do. Sure. So I focus on environmental health and safety issues kind of across the board, do quite a bit of work for manufacturers, hence the manufacturing law blog that we're going to talk about. So I deal a lot with compliance issues as it relates to environmental waste generation, chemical usage, and also worker safety. I also deal with litigation and dispute resolution, and I do a fair amount of transactional work as well, sort of everything circling around environmental health and safety issues. So some environmental environmental, some OSHA-related kinds of work. Yep, that's right. Kind of disconnected, right? I mean, I I guess they're they're connected by the idea that you're working for manufacturers, but OSHA and environmental are usually two very different areas of practice. Yeah, I mean, so it it sort of came out of the fact that we do represent manufacturers as as an industry group, and that's it's kind of what led to the creation of the blog as well. Um, A number of us found that in representing manufacturers, there were a number of different issues that manufacturers were dealing with, and we were developing interdisciplinary teams to try to represent them in all, in all of their various needs. And so certainly, you know, we'd be out visiting manufacturing facilities, looking at their waste storage, looking at their chemical storage, looking at their processes, and at the same time, also identifying potential safety issues. So, you know, as you're looking at, at storage of chemicals, are you also looking at potential exposure issues? Or can you notice that there might be a machine guarding issue? So it really sort of came out of the fact that we do spend a lot of time on the floor of manufacturing facilities in our jobs. And, you know, it really grew organically in that way that we would start to to notice these other potential issues that manufacturers were having. I happen to be a, a journalist who went to law school and then spent a lot of his career in, in journalism. And I noticed that you uh, started out your undergrad education at the Newhouse School at, at Syracuse, uh, studying, I guess, public relations and communication. Uh, I had some good friends who were on the faculty there over the years. How, how did you get from uh, interested in, in communications to uh, representing manufacturers and becoming a lawyer? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I sort of um, always had a, a bit of an argumentative bone in my body, uh, my my father would probably say. But I was always interested in journalism and thought that I would become a journalist. And when I was in journalism school, I actually started as a broadcast journalism major. You know, I, I found that I wanted to dive even deeper into the issues that I was uncovering um, and really to sort of help to find solutions to the problems. And so that's ultimately what sort of led me to the law 
um, I, I, I felt like I could use a lot of the same skills that I was using in journalism, but go even deeper into whether, you know, the issue or the problem and really help somebody find a solution to it. That's really kind of how I ended up pursuing this path. I do feel like I use my journalism skills fairly regularly. I, I do, do a lot of writing, obviously, through the blog and otherwise, but also just generally having that background in communication and how communications are received by people, I think is has been really helpful and probably helpful to a lot of lawyers that share that background. Yeah, well, you probably know this having having that background, but there is a lot of crossover between journalism and law. A lot of journalists end up going to law school. A lot of lawyers end up becoming journalists. It, it goes both ways. Did you ever know Mark Obi? Uh, as, as he was a professor there for many years, taught magazine writing, I think, but he used to be at uh, ALM and I used to work at ALM as an editor there. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I don't know I him. I knew him way back when, <laughs> but uh, he was a lawyer who became a journalist. I'm a lawyer who still practices law, but also do a lot of journalism. So a lot of crossover there. Definitely. Uh, you should be doing a podcast podcast, not a blog, with a broad, <laughs> broadcast uh, media background. I mean, I, I was looking around uh, the, the blog, and as far as I can tell, it started around December 2012 was the very first post, which means you're uh, in marking the, the 10th anniversary of the blog this year. Uh, and it was founded, I think, by a different partner at the firm, and and I wasn't quite sure when you started to get involved in it. So this was really uh, an idea that was started by a couple of lawyers, a couple of whom predated my involvement in the blog. But if I had to give credit to one person for really starting this blog and this whole idea of our manufacturing practice, it would be Jeff White, who's still uh, writing for the blog. He chairs our manufacturing industry group at the firm, and he really kind of came up with this idea for the manufacturing law blog really because he was seeing all of these these matters where we were representing manufacturers and you know we'd be working on one particular issue a contracts issue and then we'd realize that they had an environmental issue as well and maybe they had an employment issue as well and so over time we were finding that we were just doing a lot of interdisciplinary work for manufacturers. We were really kind of on the front lines of knowing what issues were impacting them. And so the blog was sort of a great offshoot of that for us to take the knowledge that we were gaining through this interdisciplinary representation of manufacturers and really kind of commit ourselves to really learning even more about it and putting information out there for our clients, for our contacts, you know, to sort of help them, uh, you know, navigate the issues that they might come up with outside of the context of a direct representation. Back in that introductory post that that uh, uh, that Jeffrey wrote, he said that there are few, if any, blogs focused on legal issues that face manufacturers and distributors. Now that was ten years ago. I. I think that's probably still the case. I'm not aware of a whole lot of blogs that focus, legal blogs that focus on manufacturers. Do you know? Yeah, I think there are probably a few more than there were in yeah. 2012, as you mentioned, but not many. And I do think, you know, I guess tooting our own horn, I think we do a really good job at, you know, being consistent in our publication and really approaching it from a standpoint of trying to find those cutting edge topics, those sort of next, the next issues that a manufacturer is going to be dealing with kind of across the board. You know, we're not just focused on environmental. We're not just focused on contracts. We're not just focused on supply chain. We're really covering all of it. So I do still feel like, you know, we've been at this for a while, but I do still feel like we're providing a lot of good and cutting edge content when yeah. we, and we work really hard to try to keep that going as, as we move forward. I promised you before I was going to try and not ask 
ask stupid questions. So this may be a really stupid one, but how do you define or think about who is a manufacturer? What constitutes a manufacturer? Yeah, that that's a good question too, because it's it is a really broad and all-encompassing term. Really, you know, we sort of think of it as anyone who makes things. We also represent and kind of cover issues that are faced by distributors and suppliers um, in this space as well. So it is pretty broad um, and our manufacturing practice is extremely broad. You know, we're representing very large, uh, you know, public companies, global companies, down to much smaller manufacturers, you know, that just maybe have one facility. And it really is across the board in terms of what manufacturers are actually making. But still, you know, there are are synergies and and overlaps between all of the various manufacturing industries in that, you know, a lot of times you have equipment, you have supply chain, you just are dealing with a lot of the same issues, even if you're coming at it from a slightly different place. So yeah, it's a pretty broad term. And how are the, the legal issues that manufacturers face uh, different or distinct from uh, other industries? I don't know, you know, software developers or financial services or, or whatever other large companies might be out there. What what are the what are the kinds of issues that they face that are distinct? Many of the issues that you know, just take what I do for example as an environmental lawyer. Many of the issues that that we face every day for manufacturers could could come up in other contexts as well. Um, I think what makes the manufacturing industry team a little bit different is just the interdisciplinary nature of it, right? So, you know, a manufacturer might be dealing with a particular environmental issue and a particular supply chain issue and a contracting issue. Sort of the conglomeration of those issues, Mm -hmm. when you take them all together, creates this unique practice for manufacturers, I think, that you know, you could see these one-off things that you deal with in, in other areas, but it's really sort of that, that cohesive um, grouping of the different types of, of disciplines that creates that manufacturing practice. Yeah. So does the work that you do for clients tend to be done on that sort of team basis where the, the, a lot of these issues will, will, will often come together in a single matter or a single issue? Oftentimes it, it does. Yes. I, or, you know, one thing leads to another. I think that happens a lot in environmental, you know, you might be called out to deal with, uh, you know, a, a spill of, of a hazardous chemical. And when you're there at the facility, you notice that there is an issue from a, a safety perspective with regard to some equipment. And so, you know, it, it is this situation where a lot of times one thing will lead to another. And, you know, what we've found is it it tends to be most advantageous, you know, for the client if if we're involved in a holistic way in the process, because, you know, a change in one area could lead to noncompliance in another area or, you know, a a contracting issue could lead to a supply chain issue in the future. So there's sort of just so many ways that one thing can impact another that it's just helpful for you know us to be involved cohesively even if even if we're dealing with a very specific issue an employment issue you know I'll usually keep the team of attorneys that's working with that manufacturer apprised of what's going on because it's possible that it could come up in another context in the future so with this blog uh, what are the kinds of topics you you cover there? What kinds of, uh, uh, is it all news? Are you doing analysis? Are you doing opinion? Uh, What are you doing? Yeah, we kind of, we kind of do it all. What we try to do is identify 
the types of things that manufacturers are going to be dealing with, we try to cover hot topics. So we certainly always have our eye on the news and what might be happening from a regulatory standpoint or a litigation standpoint. But we also draw off our experiences of actually representing manufacturers. And so, you know, if we're dealing with a particular contracting issue or a particular employment issue, oftentimes we'll be seeing that across a number of different clients, not just one. Um, And certainly preserving all confidences, we can provide manufacturers with the information of, about you know what the issue is and what we're dealing with and how one might try to approach it. Um, certainly, we're not giving legal advice on the blog, but we do, do, we do perform analysis of, of the facts that we're presenting or the news that we're presenting. So it's not just you know letting you know that some regulation was passed yesterday and in 30 days you're going to have to comply. We'll oftentimes talk about potential challenges of, of complying with the law or, you know, things that we might see coming down the road in the future um, and, and provide that level of analysis so that it's so a little give bit them more something they it. can take away a little bit from the, that's uh, right. From the post. That's right. We, we were just kind of talking about what is a manufacturer. Do you view your audience as any particular segment of the manufacturing industry, uh, any particular geographic area? I mean, how do you kind of focus or not focus what you're what you're writing about? So I guess I would say we don't really focus on any particular sector of manufacturing and we don't focus on geography either. I mean, occasionally we might have a jurisdiction specific post if it's really important, if it's a really important issue. But we represent manufacturers globally, and we really do work across a variety of industry areas. So we, we try not to focus on, you know, one thing in particular. You know, as an example, I cover a fair amount of safety topics, OSHA-related topics, and those tend to go across industries and certainly across jurisdictions as well. A lot of times the things that we do cover, even if they're, you know, regulatory, they they still would, would apply across jurisdictions. Other types of things like trends we might be seeing in litigation or trends we see in contracting, supply chain issues, those really cut across jurisdictions and industry areas as well. So we we have the manufacturer in mind, the broad term of the manufacturer, and certainly there might be times when a post would be more applicable to a particular type of manufacturer than another if it deals with chemicals and you don't really deal with a whole lot of chemicals, it might not be as relevant. But generally speaking, the blog has has broad applicability, um, and and you know we cover across the jurisdictions and across the industries. Who at your firm writes for the blog? We have a team of of three of us who are primarily responsible for our blog posts, and so um, I cover environmental health and safety. Um, we have Jeff White, who I mentioned earlier, who covers litigation and compliance, and then we have Abby Warren, who covers labor and employment. We have guest posts pretty regularly as well from a variety of other authors at the firm. We sort of set it up to have the three of us as the the main authors because we want to be accountable. We want to put out regular content and we want to make sure that, you know, we're we're there to to make sure that that's happening and to make sure that that content is timely, is newsworthy, and is sort of up to the standard that has been created by this blog over the last 10 years. But we have so many great lawyers at Robinson and Cole who focus on a variety of disciplines, you know, certainly the disciplines I mentioned, but other disciplines as well. You know, we have had data privacy and security posts from one of our data privacy and security attorneys. Her name is Lynn Friedman. She's she's done a number of posts on on the blog. So, you know, we, we certainly look across the firm 
at all of our disciplines and we try to supplement with with guest authors uh, pretty regularly. And, and people come to us as well. You know, we, we oftentimes will have attorneys at the firm who will come to one of the three of us and say, hey, I've got a great idea for a post on the blog. And they tell us what it is. And we say, that's a great idea. Let's get it up there. So we, you know, we, we have the three of us as sort of the, the main spearheads, but we certainly get a lot of contribution from other lawyers at the firm. And, and did the three of you have an editorial process around this? Or is it all kind of just, you know, if you see something about environmental law, you go ahead and post it? Or do you coordinate in any way or, or schedule? in any way? Yeah, we do schedule. We try to we try to keep a cadence of, of who's posting when, but certainly if, if something really timely comes out, we shift things around because we want to make sure that we're being as, as newsworthy as we can. And we do coordinate our posts with each other, not necessarily every week. If I'm doing a very nitty gritty chemical regulation topic, my partners might not necessarily want to get into all the details of those weeds, but there there's a lot of crossover between the the posts that we write and the work that we do. So, you know, I'm thinking just recently, Abby and I worked together on a post related to COVID and, you know, OSHA OSHA regulations and guidance regarding COVID and the emergency temporary standard that we all know uh, is no more. And then federal contractor guidance and, and, and rules around COVID vaccinations and testing. So certainly a lot of overlap there. And the two of us coordinated to make sure that we were sort of representing the, the full landscape there um, and and uh, and each of our sort of respective disciplines. Yeah, I, I have to think COVID was something you wrote quite a bit about over the last <laughs> couple of years. We, we certainly did write quite a bit about COVID. Yeah, I spent a lot of time writing about the various OSHA guidance documents that came out related to COVID, certainly the emergency temporary standard and how that all played out in the courts. I'll be very happy to stop writing about COVID if we can, but I have a feeling we're not quite done yet. Even as we all return to offices, I know, you know, a lot of manufacturers have have been in the office this whole time or on the factory floor. So that's been an interesting thing to cover because, you know, these these OSHA guidance documents were really important for for manufacturers. You know, they really had to be paying attention to the guidance and and what they needed to follow with regard to COVID because they actually had all their employees there. But yeah, I, I you know, hopefully the COVID posts shift a little bit in terms of what we're talking about, but certainly none of us expect it to go away, both both from a, a need to address it in the workplace, but also, you know, from the liability that might flow from COVID, you know, there's always a, a bit of a tail to those things. So unfortunately, I think we will be writing about COVID into the future. Yeah. Well, you know, I asked before about what are some of the differences between the manufacturing industry and and some other verticals out there. And that's probably a big one right there. I mean, manufacturing really couldn't just shut down and go to go to work from home uh, when the pandemic hit. Yeah, Uh, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do. I do some some of my law practice, I, I work as an arbitrator. I just had an arbitration recently in which uh, it, it involved uh, employees at a manufacturing plant and implicated some of the safeguards that were put in place or, you know, attempted safeguards that were put in place around COVID. But there was really no, I mean, they shut down for a few weeks and that was about it. And, and they just kept going. Right. With a whole lot of safeguards in place. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, things changed so much over time, both in terms of the pandemic itself, but also the guidance around what you needed to do to keep people safe. There were so many changes and things that really had to happen in real time, you know, pretty significant changes to a company's operations. Um, they didn't have a whole lot of time to implement those changes. So, you know, it was, it was kind of a fascinating thing to follow, but also, you know, a, a stressful thing to follow, knowing that you're trying to help these companies manage through that ever-changing process. You know, the, the word fluid got thrown around, mm -hmm. you know, so many times in the last couple of years, but, you know, it's it's an appropriate word because that's really what it was. But but as a manufacturer, you really had to sort of go with it and ride it and, and, and figure out how you were going to make those changes pretty much on the fly. Uh, so as you're putting out this blog, writing this blog, putting out these uh, posts on various topics of interest to manufacturers, do you get feedback at all? Do you have a, a sense of, of who's reading it, of who your audience is? We do. Yeah. I mean, we we are, for, you know, fortunately, there that data is tracked and we can get access to that data, which is, which is very nice. Um, so we can see who's reading. We can see who's read it, who's just sort of interacted with it, meaning they probably didn't have it open long enough to read the whole post, but they certainly, maybe they opened the email if they subscribe. You know, we we get data on, you know, who who the, the, the companies are, and it really is a wide variety of, of companies that are, that are interacting with the blog. Um, we get information on sort of how popular each post was, mm -hmm. which I find to be really, really valuable information because, you know, I can track different topics and then say, all right, well, let's do a follow-up on that topic in a few months because it, you know, it really seemed to be of interest to a lot of our readers. So yes, we definitely do track that. Um, and we do oftentimes interact with our blog readers as well. You know, they'll reach out to us, um, you know, or their subscribers and we're able to reach out to them. So um, we certainly encourage our readers to reach out to us if they have questions or even if they have topic ideas, we are all ears for that. But yes, all that data is really good data to get. And we, and we certainly do track it so that we can help guide you know, our content as we move forward. Do you view this uh, within your firm as a business development tool? And if so, has it developed any business? So yes and yes. Um, we do view it as a business development tool. Um, I think it's 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 a fun tool. I I really enjoy uh, writing it. I mean, as you mentioned at the beginning of this, I do have a journalism background, so maybe I have a predilection to to want to write and just kind of stay on top of what's happening. But but I do find it you know just really fun to kind of keep your finger on the pulse, not just for for what I do, but to read what my what my colleagues are writing on the blog as well to really kind of have that you know, holistic sense of, of what manufacturers need. But yeah, we absolutely do view it as um, a marketing and a business development opportunity, you know, and, and we treat it that way. We take it, we take our responsibility to post very seriously. And yes, we have uh, developed business out of the blog as well from people just simply reaching out as a result of us writing posts that were of interest to them. So yes and yes uh, to those questions. Okay. That's a good thing. You know, again, with reference to your 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 journalism background, I mean, you 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 uh, alluded earlier to the fact that you all of you on 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 the blogging, uh, all of you who are writing for the blog, want to kind of maintain the standards that have been developed over the ten years of of publishing this blog. Uh, 
what are those standards? I mean, how do, how do, do you bring any of your journalism background to what you're, you're doing with the blog? Do you and your other fellow authors talk about style or length or anything like that? Do you have guidelines around any of that? We, we do. We do have guidelines around the style of our writing, around the length of our posts. Some, sometimes we end up straying a little bit from that. But yeah, we, we want this to be something that's fun for people to read. We, we obviously, first and foremost, want to provide people with information that they, we feel that they need to have. But we want to make sure that it's, it's fun to read. It doesn't take people too long to read, that they can get the information that they need. We're not asking them to read a law review article or to focus on something in, in such granular detail that it really just turns people off after the second paragraph. We want it to be fun to read. So I, I know when I write, I try to I try to write the blog posts as if you could hear me saying it out loud. You know, almost like we're doing a podcast, but you know, so you're 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 reading it, but you're hearing me in your head speak. It's like we're having a conversation. And then in terms of length, um, you know, we do try to keep things short enough that you can just read through them in a couple of minutes. Occasionally, the posts are a little bit longer if there's really something that we feel like we need to cover in great detail or there's a long history. I know um, the one that's coming to mind is the Clean Water Act definition of waters of the United States and how that might impact manufacturers. I mean, that's something you could probably write 300 pages about. But we try to go for something between 300 words and maybe 750 words. Shorter than that, you're not really saying a whole lot. Longer than that, it might take somebody a little bit longer to read it than just, you know, a few sips of coffee in the morning um, when our email hits their inbox. So, so yeah, we do, uh, we certainly do um, have kind of standards. And and when I first started, started writing for the blog, um, that was one of the first things that I talked about uh, with, with my fellow authors was, you know, what those standards were and the reasons why we kind of stuck to them. I'm amazed at how many legal blogs I still see with things like footnotes, and I hope you're. I hope you're not no. using footnotes. No, uh, you know they, they still they still want to they want to write it like they've always written legal stuff, and it's just doesn't work. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, we're not trying to write a brief. We do put hyperlinks. Try not to to put too many hyperlinks in there, but oftentimes hyperlinks can be really helpful if we're talking about a particular regulation or a particular particular case or a guidance document. You know, we'll put a hyperlink in there so that if you do want more information, you can just simply click on the link and it will take you to the primary source. But otherwise, yes, we want these blog posts to sort of read like we're having a conversation. Well, um, Megan, any other advice? Uh, you, you know, you've talked about a couple of things, having it read like it's a conversation, keep it to a reasonable length. Uh, you've talked about the, the the keeping up a regular schedule uh, of posts. Uh, any other advice that you'd give others who others in the legal world who are con- considering blogging or currently blogging? Yeah. So, so in addition to those, which I I think all those are very important. Um, probably most importantly, keeping a regular cadence to your posts so that your readers can come to expect you to, you know, post even if it's on a particular day or if it's once a week, because that can really sort of drive your readership. But really, it comes down to the content. Back, you know, 10 years ago when this idea was dreamed up uh, by Jeff White and others, you know, they had a great concept where, you know, we're going to focus on manufacturers and we're going to cover many disciplines, but there's a focus and there's sort of a target market, even though that market is quite broad, you know, as we've discussed on this podcast. But that sort of helped us to focus what our content should be. 
And then, you know, you, you really just kind of have to stay abreast of the topics that you think would be relevant to cover on the blog. So I am constantly reading, whether it's other blogs or other publications, and just staying up on the latest news that would be relevant and kind of having, you know, a, a collection of topics in my head at any one time that I can draw from, you know, to, to, to actually write a post. So it's that and in combination with just doing this work for manufacturers every day and seeing what they're dealing with, you just get the ideas for posts that can help others that might be dealing with similar problems. So really, you know, kind of regular cadence to it, you know, write it in a, in a casual way, but probably most importantly, just make sure that you have good and relevant content that your audience wants to read. This might be a loaded question. I don't want to get you in trouble with this one, but do you think you're more disciplined about keeping up with the news in your practice area because you're doing the blog than you might otherwise be if you weren't doing the blog? I I think I am. Yes. I I think it's always something that we want to stay abreast of, sort of the news in our field and we're representing our clients. So so certainly we're doing that anyway. But I have this added pressure of knowing that once every three weeks, I have to put together a post. The beginning of every year, I'm going to write an Outlook post on four or five or six things that I think are going to happen that year. You know, that requires a little bit of, of work to, to dig through. There's At the beginning of the year, there's so many articles that come out along those lines, but sort of our judgment of what do we think is really going to impact a manufacturer this year. So, so yeah, I do think that having this, you know, sort of regular cadence of posting on the manufacturing law blog kind of keeps me even more up on the um, trade trade information and trade news than I would otherwise be. So what's something new this year that's going to really affect the manufacturing? <laughs> well, read the blog and you'll find out. <laughs> we all, yeah, we all we all did um we all we do this every year. The three of us will do our own in our own disciplines what we think is going to be some, something to really watch out for. And it's it's really it's really difficult, you know, I I'm not a favorites person. I always say this. I have a very hard time picking the one thing that I like the most or the one thing that I think is the most important. Um, but that's what you asked me to do. So so what I think is going to be the most interesting this year is to see how ESG impacts manufacturers and continues to impact manufacturers. So ESG, environmental, social, and governance factors, which you know most people have probably heard of now. And so we're starting to see you know, I, I come from the E perspective, you know, we're starting to see environmental issues really creep into investment decisions and into the minds of consumers in a way that we really just didn't see happening 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, while there are not really specific standards set by the SEC for reporting on environmental be, right? climate, climate change, coming. yeah, we, we, we're sort of looking to see if things like yeah. that are, on, are coming down the pike. And also, you know, looking at the guidance that the SEC has in place and has had in place for quite some time on, you know, climate change reporting and how the SEC is scrutinizing reporting that companies are making based on that guidance. But also, I and I think even more interestingly, how consumers and investors are scrutinizing it. I think that's going to be a really hot topic to to watch in 2022. Yeah. Well, I was actually hoping you were going to say that one because I read <laughs> your piece of, of uh, perspective uh, on 2022. And I there's been so much, there's so much buzz around ESG. And I think it's one of those topics that's a little bit hard to uh, sort from the buzz to the to the reality in terms of its its, its implica- implications for for different industries uh, for the legal world in particular. 
so uh, fascinating. Well, we'll have to stay tuned to your blog to uh, keep up with developments in that area. Uh, Megan, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk with us today. It's been a real pleasure to uh, hear about your blog and to get a chance to talk to you. Thanks very much, Bob. The pleasure is all mine. So again, we were talking to Megan Baroni from the Manufacturing Law blog, Robinson and Cole, and you can find it at manufacturinglawblog.com. No surprises there. And again, this was episode number 60 of This Week in Legal Blogging. How did we get to 60 so quickly? I don't know. Uh, if you haven't yet, please be sure to peruse our full library of episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a quick rating or review if you, if you like the show. And uh, you can always go over to lexblog.com slash twilb, T-W-I-L-B, This Week in Legal Blogging, for outlines uh, of each and every show we have done so far. On behalf of myself and on behalf of everybody at Lexblog, thanks so much for listening.